I'm sure we would all agree that this year has not turned out as we expected. I don't know what you thought 2020 was going to be like, but I'm certain it wasn't this. We didn't expect a global pandemic to to disrupt all of our lives. We didn't expect to have to cope with a lockdown for months. Many of us didn't expect to be off work for so long. We had no plans to move church to a Zoom experience. And today, we thought we'd be praying for those who would be facing their leaving cert exams and also getting prepared for a church weekend away that was supposed to be next weekend. Things haven't turned out as we expected. That was actually the same for the Jewish nation in Jesus' time. When it came to the Messiah, the Christ, the King, that God would choose to lead them, they had their expectations. They thought that this King would restore the temple and defeat their enemies. A bit like how David had had defeated Goliath and also planned for the building of the first temple about a thousand years before Jesus. Or Judas Maccabeus, who had defeated the Syrians and rededicated the temple about 160 years before Jesus' time. Or even Herod, who had defeated the Parthians about 40 years before Jesus and who had started the rebuilding of the temple that was continuing right throughout Jesus' lifetime. But Jesus didn't fit in with those expectations. He was not the king that they expected or even wanted. But he was the king that they needed. And he's still the same today. Jesus calls us to accept him as the king of our lives. Not necessarily the king that we expect or even maybe want but the king that we need. So we're going to read from John chapter 18. I'm going to read from verse 28 to verse 40. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to ask and asked them, What charges are you bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we, wouldn't, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, 
I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release you to your one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Each of the Gospels focus on different details of the various trials of Jesus. And so it's only as we read them all together do we get the fullest understanding of these events. However, the first words of Pilate to Jesus on that day are recorded in each of the four Gospels. And this is, this is what Pilate said. Are you the king of the Jews? This was the key issue in this trial. This was the crux of the matter. Was the man standing before Pilate really the king of the Jews? And in his gospel, John gives us a clear answer to this crucial question. In John chapter 1, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey on what we call Palm Sunday, the crowds declared, blessed is the king of Israel. And during this trial, Jesus confirmed what these people had said. He said, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world. This speaks about Jesus' humanity, that he was born, and also his deity, that he came into the world as the word became flesh. But the reason for this was to be king, to establish his rule and his reign over his people. And of course, that wasn't just for the Jews. This was for his people from all nations. And it's great news, because if we accept Jesus as our king, then we will receive life in all its fullness. This is why John wrote his gospel. He says that he wrote that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's chapter 20, verse 31. John wrote to convince us that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God's anointed king. And if we bow down before him, if we put our faith in him, then we'll receive the gift of eternal life. A living, personal relationship with God that starts now and goes on forever. So if we trust in Jesus this morning, then we can celebrate that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, as Paul says in Colossians 1 and 13. So what this means is that this question, are you the king of the Jews? was not just a crucial question at Jesus' trial. It is the crucial question for us today. We need to personally decide whether we will accept him as our king. 
That's what Jesus challenged Peter, or Pilate, to do. When Pilate first asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, Jesus answered, is that your, your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Now, Pilate protested because it, that it wasn't his idea because he wasn't a Jew. So what would he know about this? But Jesus was challenging Pilate to decide for himself. Pilate couldn't dodge this question. He couldn't just blame others for it. Pilate had to make a decision for himself. And you and I need to do the same. We need to decide whether we are going to accept Jesus as our king. But what does that mean? What kind of king is Jesus? And what kind of kingdom does he invite us to be part of? Well, that's really important to know because the Jewish leadership were not expecting a king like Jesus. That's why they handed Jesus over to Pilate. It says in verse 28 of our reading, the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. The the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish court where Jesus had been condemned, they did not have the legal right to execute anybody. So they asked Pilate to do that for them. But I think it also suited them to get the Romans to do this. That's because they were afraid of the crowds. They were afraid of, of the kind of the, 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 the popular idea of who Jesus was. So they wanted the Romans to do their dirty work for them. But also I think because according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So if Jesus was crucified, in agony and shame, then everybody would see what they thought they already knew, that Jesus could not be the Messiah. Because the Messiah could not, in their understanding, be under God's curse. So they brought Jesus to Pilate. But did you notice in verse 28 what it says? That to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to eat, to be able to eat the Passover. They stayed outside that governor's house because to enter into a Gentile's house would make them ritually defiled. And that would prohibit them from the Passover festival. So when you think of it, that is shocking. These guys, they thought that they could be clean in God's sight as they were conspiring through lies and manipulation to murder God's son. And this highlights one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why they rejected Jesus. The focus of those people was in keeping the external rules and rituals of their religion. They were like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable that he went that he spoke about in Luke chapter 18 about the, this guy, this, this Pharisee, who went to the temple to pray. And this is what he prayed. God, 
I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But when Jesus came, he did not congratulate or reward the religious elite like this Pharisee. Rather, he came and pointed out their hypocrisy. He said like things like this, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guidance. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Yes, these leaders were careful to keep the tiny details of the law. They even gave a tenth of all of their spices. They were that precise. But the problem was that this focus on these external rules allowed them to congratulate themselves for their achievements and their, their successes. And at the same time, avoid what the law was all about. Because the law was not a list of rules to keep in order to be right with God. Rather, it was a revelation of the glory of God. So that we could see how far short of God's standard that we've fallen. So Paul says in Romans 3.20, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, We become conscious of sin. So folks, Jesus did not come to be a religious king. He did not come to reward the devout and the dutiful and the devoted. He did not come to repay those who had done enough to make themselves clean in God's sight. Instead, Jesus came as the King of Grace. He came to save those who recognized their failure, their mess, their sin, and who were willing to come to Him empty-handed for salvation. So Jesus said in Luke 5, 31-32, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that meant that these religious leaders, they had to come exactly the same way as everybody else. They were all in the same boat. They had to come as sinners who needed grace. And they were not willing to do this. Instead, they handed Jesus over to Pilate and demanded that he kill him. 
Of course, little did they know that in doing this, they were actually fulfilling God's plan. Verse 32 of our reading says, This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he he was going to die, would be fulfilled. In dying on the cross, Jesus was both fulfilling scripture and his own words about being lifted up from the earth. And he was also becoming a curse. But becoming a curse for you and for me. He was taking upon himself all of our sins, paying the debt that we owed, dying the death that we deserved. All so that we could come and receive his grace and be saved. And in doing this, he was actually fulfilling what that Passover had pointed towards all these years. These religious leaders, they wanted to celebrate the Passover because it pointed back to God's rescue of their nation from Egypt. But they didn't understand there was actually pointing forward to a greater rescue mission. One that was taking place before their very eyes. Jesus came to be the King of Grace. He came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so now, you and I are invited to a different feast. Not the Passover, but the Lord's Supper to communion. And this invitation is not for those who think they are good enough because of their religious achievements or their right living. Instead, it's for sinners who admit their guilt, who have repented, and who have put their faith in Jesus, the King of Grace. So the Jews, they rejected Jesus because he was the King of Grace. But Pilate, he struggled with Jesus. Because he was the king of truth. Pilate was not a strong or principled leader. He was a pragmatic politician whose main focus was not to administer justice correctly. But instead to do whatever benefited him and his own interests. So when the Jewish leadership brought Jesus to him, demanding that he punish him, Pilate was actually felt trapped. He didn't want to do what the Jews asked. His first decision was take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. He wanted to dismiss the case and let the Jews decide for themselves not out of principle but he didn't like them. So he didn't want to do what they demanded. He didn't just want to to be their puppet to, to just do what they asked. And as his interrogation proceeded progressed Pilate became even more convinced that he didn't want to condemn Jesus. He knew that Jesus was innocent of the charge. The charges levelled against him. I find no basis for a charge against him, he said, verse 38. And he also saw through the motivation of these religious leaders. He knew it was out of envy 
that they'd handed Jesus over to him. So he wouldn't want to act in a way that would boost their power and their influence. But Pilate was also afraid of directly opposing these Jews. Because he knew that at the Passover, nationalistic passions were high. And so going against their wishes in this way could easily turn this whole situation into a riot. And that would look really bad to the people back in Rome. He had made some bad decisions in the past and his career could not survive another one. So Pilate, in this situation, was basically looking for a way out. A way to handle the situation, to compromise, to to bend the rules, to scheme and to strategize, to do whatever it took to promote his own interests. And I think Pilate would have fitted in really well in our world today. A few years ago, the Oxford Dictionary declared that their international word of the year was post-truth. They said this word post-truth was an adjective relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion or personal belief. Post-truth. We live in a post-truth world where facts, the absolute objective facts, they don't matter as much as what people believe or feel. People can say things like, you have your truth, I have mine. So we're surrounded by lies, half-truths, convenient compromises, false claims and fake news. And many people are like Pilate. They don't care to, they don't seem to care too much. As long as it promotes their interests. But Jesus is different. He said to Pilate, verse 37 of our reading, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Jesus came to declare the absolute truth. He rejected all forms of deceit or dishonesty or distortions of reality. Everything that he said was accurate, reliable, faithful, correct and right. Again and again when he spoke, he he said, I tell you the truth. That's because he is the truth. Jesus made this claim to his disciples, I am the truth, John 14, 6. He is the the final and the full revelation from God. He is the standard, the foundation of what is true. And so if we want to live in the truth, if we want a life that's based on reality, that makes sense, that is a life that's worth living, then we need to listen to Jesus. He said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Of course, Pilate didn't want to listen. His response to all of this, 
was this famous question or statement, what is truth? People have argued over what he really meant by that. But it's clear it wasn't a genuine question. It wasn't that he was actually asking Jesus for an answer here because he didn't stick around for it. He did not want the truth. He just wanted what worked for him at that time. But if he had listened, he could have been set free. He could have been set free, not just from this difficult situation, but he could have been set free from his sin. That's because Jesus said this, John 8 and verse 31, 32, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So today, folks, if we want to live in freedom, if we want to live that life to the full, if we want to live a life that's worth living, we need to put our faith in the King of truth and live in the truth, whatever it costs. So Pilate rejected Jesus as the King of truth. So he continued to try to manoeuvre his way out of this situation. He didn't want to go along with the Jewish leadership, but he couldn't risk antagonising them. So he decided to let the people choose. Verse 39, it says, it is, Pilate was speaking, it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? But the crowd, well, they were influenced by the leaders. And they rejected Jesus. Instead they shouted, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now that name Barabbas, Barabbas, it means son of Abba, son of the father. (coughs) Excuse me. He is described in the Gospels as a rebel, a robber, a nationalistic fighter who had murdered people in an uprising. And that is who the crowd wanted to be least. Because he was their kind of guy. He was a partisan leader who cared about their nation, but not about the others. He was a strong man of action who was willing to use aggression and force and violence to grab what he wanted to get things done. (coughs) Excuse me. But Jesus is not that kind of king. He told Pilate in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. Now, he didn't mean that his, he was not the, the ruler of the earth. Of course he is. He is the king of this whole universe. But this means that he is not a worldly leader fighting to establish a worldly kingdom of prosperity and power through worldly means of force and violent revolution. He is the king of heaven. His kingdom is from heaven. That's because unlike Barabbas, he is the true son of the father. That means he's the king of love, because God is love. 
So that's why he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, on what we call Palm Sunday, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. See your king comes to you, gentle, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. That's why he stopped his disciples from defending him in the garden. And he refused to call down legion of angels to rescue him. That's why when he was being crucified, he didn't fight back either physically or verbally, but instead prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what what they are doing. Jesus did not come to declare his love for his nation and his race and his hatred of all the others. Instead, he said, for God so loved the world. And he didn't come to defeat his enemies by destroying them, but by destroying their sin and opening up the way so that they could become his friends. So Romans 5 and 10 says, when we were God's enemies, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And so this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus invites us into. His kingdom is not of this world. So he doesn't promise health and wealth and comfort and ease and everything else that we could ever imagine in this world. That's not what he offers. His rule is defined by love. So he calls us to love Everyone, even our enemies, even those who might hurt us or attack us. And his purpose is salvation. He calls us to follow in his footsteps and lay down our lives to take this wonderful gospel to a world that is lost and broken and heading for a lost eternity. This is the wonderful gospel. This is the kind of kingdom that Jesus invites us into. And this is the kind of kingdom that this world so desperately needs. This is not my gospel that builds these walls between us, drawing borders that separate raising flags of supremacy, empires of hate in the name of freedom. This is not my gospel that casts the immigrant out, pulling mothers' urgent hands from the cries of their children, expelling souls to isolation because of the color of their skin, their sexuality, the gender, the class, the nation they live in. This is not my gospel that spits on the face of God, lashing his image with words of rejection, warmongering, dominating the weak, diminishing salvation to a conditional thing, while hope lies lost and bleeding, weeping for relief. This is not my gospel that turns communities inwards, planting distrust in their hearts towards the beauty of difference labeling neighbors as enemies and defining us by division, 
This is not my gospel with its eyes full of pride. When injustice is clothed in lies, when grace is caged, we face the great divide. Humanity displaced from love. My gospel is love. Who crossed the chasm between heaven and earth, speaking worth to all in endless benevolence. Love who sat in the dirt with the rejected, erasing their shame with the touch of acceptance. Who reached for those society deserted, embracing the leper, the filthy, the hurting. Love who clutched the souls of his rivals in nail-pierced hands, holding them free from hell's vicious venom, declaring them brother, sister, cherished, forgiven. Love who tore the temple veil, divine grasping flesh, flesh clutching divine, crying, "You are mine." Precious mankind, awake from your slumber and open your eyes to love. Who walks through the walls, crossing the divide with burning passion, calling for those who have lost their place, breaking tomb after tomb after tomb to reveal a world of eternal embrace. This is my gospel. This is the cry heard in the night of unrest. Clutched close to heartbroken chests, crying, "Reach for me! Reach past the borders! Reach to the wounds that have torn us apart! Plant seeds of compassion where malice has grown! Throw your arms open and welcome the forsaken home! Break down the walls that hate has raised! Turn your eyes to the face of the shamed and realize that it is mine." It is yours. We are one, reborn and remade. Let the stars fall. Let mercy cascade. Let the heavens pour. I gave you my all. I will give it again and again and again. I throw down my kingship. I throw down my fame to be with you in the rejection, to hold you in the pain. You are not the outsider, nor a child of shame. Let the depths proclaim to the heights above that you are loved. So Jesus was not the king that the religious leaders were were expecting, or Pilate was expecting, or the crowds were expecting. They didn't expect this kind of king, and they didn't want this kind of king. He was the king that they needed. He's the king that this world needs today. He is the king of grace, offering salvation as a gift to all who will receive him. He is the king of truth, setting free all who will listen to him. And he is the king of love, bringing reconciliation. To all who put their faith in him. So folks, my question I'm going to leave with you today is have you accepted him as your king? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is such a wonderful king. That he came to be the king 
the king who would offer grace, who would reveal truth, who would uh, overwhelm us with his love. And Lord, we just pray you'd help us. Help us individually, personally, to accept him into our lives this morning. Lord, if we haven't already put our trust in him, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that we would put our trust in Jesus and we would accept him as the king of our lives and we would be welcomed into his kingdom to to live in his grace, to to, uh, be set free by his truth and to be overwhelmed, to to be washed in his love. And Lord, if we have already accepted Jesus as our king today, then Lord, help us in this, this broken, hurting world. Help us to be the ones who will go out to share this wonderful gospel with others, Lord. Help us to, to walk in Jesus, our King's footsteps. Help us to be people of grace and truth and love. Help us to stand against the hatred and the violence and the, and the, the prejudice that's all, all around us. And help us express who you are, your heart, your priorities, your goal eh, in our own lives, Lord. Help us, Lord, to live out this life you've called us to. Help us to be people of our King, living in this kingdom, serving Jesus with everything that we are and have, laying down our lives in love for those around us, that they too may come to know Jesus as their King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.